Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Dan Randall Shepard, and I'm joined by Monica Lily Padman. <gasps> you changed it. You you said welcome, welcome, welcome. You didn't say to armchair expert. Oh fuck. Oh my. I'm all God. upside down over here on the other side of the pond. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was scary. I, we need to do a one-second update. So as everyone knows, we're, we're becoming increasingly insecure about the um, the tagline of the show. <laughs> <laughs> messiness of being human. The messiness of being human. And then someone sent me a photo that I sent to you of an enormous billboard. It looks like it's in Manhattan. It's And it says large. as big as it can get. Yep. The messiness of being human. That's right. Um <laughs> And now it's like it's just coming back to haunt us. Well, and I was thinking like, what can we change it to to be in on it? And then I was like, well, you got to really be a fan of the show. If in our in our fucking description we're making a joke, yeah, yeah. Anyways, TBD <laughs> on how that uh, gets ironed out. Man, this is in our our pantheon of favorite guests, David Sedaris. We're so excited he's back, and he does it again. He does it again. We're just fucking smitten from soup to nuts. Uh, he has a new book out. A Carnival of Snackery. And it's cool because it's his journal entries, yeah. which is so fun to, to hear. To be in his head. Yes, the way he processes the simplest interactions. And he seems to have the craziest experiences all the time. Yes, yes. Yeah, he does a lot of late night walking and he meets all kinds of characters. He's wonderful, so please enjoy David Sedaris. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. If you listen for a while, AG1 shouldn't be new to you. What's not new to me, I've been a fan for over six years. I have it every morning. I had it this morning. But if you haven't tried it yet, seriously, it's such an easy way to improve your health. It replaces multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. In 60 seconds... I know I'm covering my nutritional bases and setting myself up for success to tackle the day. And for how simple it is, it's crazy what a difference it makes. It's full of prebiotics for my gut, vitamin B to keep my energy up, magnesium for my stress levels. I could keep listing ingredients and benefits all day, but you just need to know it works. So I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. If you want to find out your newest healthy habit, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase at drinkag1.com DAX. That's drinkag1.com DAX. Check it out. He's an Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me, Dax? Oh, yes. I am so excited to talk to you. 
Can we give our previous conversation a score out of 10? I want to know from you what you think it was. Oh, I would have to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is just your memory of the experience. Oh, uh, well, I mainly remember you didn't have a bathroom door. Yes, that's correct. I didn't need one. I just peed in your studio. Yeah. So I didn't need one. But that's mainly what I remember. And it was a uh, experience. I told you a very long story about shitting my pants at Home Depot. That oh, yeah, you really, yeah, yeah. You liked, yeah, which uh-huh. warmed my heart. <laughs> but you would shit in your pants like three times or something. Oh, hundreds of times. But yes, that was the last straw in, in thinking I had IBS, which I t- it turned out I didn't have IBS. I just was allergic to Pellegrino. That was kind of the punchline of the story, but... I had convinced myself I had actual IBS and that I needed to go on a strict diet and I was learning how to eat like that. (laughs) And then I figured it out. (laughs) So I would give it a high rating. But I got to tell you, so many people I went on tour afterwards came up because they'd heard me on your podcast and they weren't familiar with me at all before. Oh, really? a, A startling number of people. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I hope you found what we have found, which is we do live shows and I don't understand it. I didn't think there were that many nice people, period. I guess what kind of people are attracted to your readings? Could you sum them up? Could you make any stereotype about them? When I think about what they have in common, I think it's a level of education. I feel Uh like they went to college. Right. I mean, sometimes somebody will come and he's like, I'm a long haul trucker and I listen to your audiobooks," and nothing feels better than that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I feel like they run the gamut in terms of ages. Racially, like if I have 2000 people in the audience, 40 are black. OK, you know I mean, so really quick, that's four out of 200. That's two out of 100. Two percent. That's pretty good. Two percent, maybe three <laughs> percent from India. Oh, okay. a really a really high percent of ABCs. What are ABCs? American born Chinese. Oh, oh my gosh. I yeah. I just I learned that. that. <laughs> a guy taught me that named Rich Jew. He's an ABC named Rich Jew. And I said, Oh come on. And he showed me his ID and that was his name. Rich. I mean it's Richard Jew, but he shortened it to Rich. And how's he spelling Jew? J E W. J-E-W, just as we would think of, yeah, the very conventional way to spell it. (laughs) Oh, wow. What line of work is he in? I don't remember, but he had a business card. He was a professional. Yes, clearly. I also have Bobby Pins business card. Bobby Pins? P-I-N-S? P-I-N. Oh, P-I-N. Bobby Pin. Oh, my God, Bobby Pin. Yeah. Did that person change their name to that, do you think? (laughs) No. I mean, I'm sure it was Robert Penn, and then he's probably called Bobby as a boy, and then he just kept it. <laughs> well, that's a, <laughs> that's a generous kind of <laughs> guesstimation of what happened. <laughs> that it all just kind of happened organically, and there was nobody at the top kind of fucking with this young child, like, like Boy Named Sue, the Johnny Cash song. It sounds a little bit more like that. Well, my sister Gretchen gets her furnace serviced by Mike Cunt. No. Mike, yep. Mike Hunt. And he calls and said, this is my cunt. Uh, we all set up a time for me to come by and look at your furnace. That's a very well-worn name to call and ask the grocery store right. manager to page somebody. Right. I mean, if I were him, I'd say Michael Hunt. And then nobody would even think Mike Hunt. If you were gay, you'd be Michael Hunt. 
You know right, I mean? right, right. The same right, way right. if you were gay, there's like there's not a gay Chris. They're all Christopher. Or there's not a gay. Like my friend David Rakoff said, you know, when people would say, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And Rakoff said, no, that would be Adam and Steven. You know, like when you're gay, you usually go for the- Sure, you go for the whole thing, the whole yeah. moniker. Why do we think that is? Do we even think about it or we just observe it? Are you interested in the causality? Oh, gosh, no. It's a really good question, though. I don't know mm-hmm. why that would be. I mean, even you, to some degree, I guess, David Sedaris, you're not going to go by Dave Sedaris. No, a Dave's a whole different creature. It is. But ding, ding, ding. This is one of the things I actually wanted to ask you about. Do you watch the TV show Dave? No. I'm going to really strongly encourage you to check it out. It's on FX. I'm just newly watching it. God, I wish you had seen it because I wanted to talk to you about a certain episode that really I can't stop thinking about. Can I just sum it up for you? Sure. Okay. So the character, the lead character, Dave, is this rapper, Lil Dicky. He's Jewish. And in real life, he really is the rapper, Lil Dicky. And he raps about, he's had a ton of trauma on his penis, a bunch of surgeries. Apparently, some of the testicle skin had to be used to graft onto the penis. So the penis has a ton of ball skin on it. So that's kind of like the foundation of his insecurities. But then he embraces it and he is a, he has, he's a, an artist because of it. So great, great show. Can't recommend it enough. But there's this episode I saw that I can't get over was he starts working with this other producer, music producer, who in real life is a very successful music producer. So he goes over to start recording and they're, they're recording and then they take a break and then they start calling each other Chuck for some reason, like Chuck. Chuck, you got something on your shirt. Oh, no, Chuck, that's this, Chuck. Chuck, let's go swimming, Chuck. And now they're calling each other Chuck. They go swimming, and then they're wrestling, and then they're looking at each other's assholes. And then one guy puts <laughs> gum in the other one's asshole to see if he can blow a bubble. And at one point, like, they're leaning into each other, and Dave is like, nope, still not attracted, still not attracted. And then he kisses him. No, I'm not attracted. Then they're wrestling naked. And then it escalates to them in the shower and he places his testicles. And it's real. He places his testicles and his perineum on the other guy's forehead and he's in the shower. But they're just laughing and having a great time. And Dave wasn't gay in this situation. It was the first time I had seen two guys that were more provocative than myself in that arena like I would snuggle my friends I've kissed plenty of my male friends on the lips but this was a whole nother zone that I feel like is part of younger people that I was just so excited to I guess witness and then curious if this is increasingly commonplace (laughs) what do you think of that I'll watch it you're really gonna like it hi David sorry I'm late oh don't worry I don't like being late but I'm Late a lot these days. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a punctual person by nature? Yeah, I try to be. I mean, usually I am. But yeah, yesterday I was in the dentist and then I had an appointment with the tailor. And so I needed the dental appointment to be over with. But the dental assistant, I don't know if this has happened to you recently, they make like a 3D model of your mouth and they stick something in your mouth that's too big for your mouth. Right? You got to take the x-rays. Yes. It's like it's a big dildo. I mean, it's just too It's just too big. And they stick it in your mouth. And I didn't realize that this was turning into a teaching moment, that one of the assistants was showing another one how to do it. And I had an appointment. And I didn't want to be a dick about it. But I'm like, 
how about you just show her how to do this on somebody else? Because I got to get out of here. But of course, I wasn't going to say that. But yeah. But I didn't want to be late. I thought when you said teaching moment, I thought it was a teaching moment for you, which would have been really interesting. Like, yeah, what would. <laughs> Like your mouth needs to be bigger or <laughs> <laughs> this usually fits. I don't know what's wrong with your mouth. <laughs> it's just weird to have something in your mouth like that. That's too big for your mouth. I was just at the dentist last week and had that exact same experience. It's very uncomfortable. But you know, like sometimes you're in a situation and you think, okay, this is like primitive technology. We're going to laugh at this. A year from now or two years from now, we're going to think, oh, that was so primitive. You know, because it's just going to be a slender wand, you know, in no time at all. And so that was one of those moments. And you thought, okay, the time for this is this is is pretty short lived, you know, to have such a massive thing in your mouth. Well, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's a nice way of looking at it. I look at it like we're not here yet. We're not here where they can just not have this enormous thing in my mouth. We already have so many other technologies that are bad for us. So why not we have this one already? Well, are you guys talking specifically? Because I know the thing where you have to, but they make you bite down and then it's like, it's very sharp on the edges on your cheeks and in the inside of your cheeks. That's for x-rays. That's for x-rays. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and there's like a little plate on the outside and that's cutting right. your gums. You guys are right, right no, about this. this is different. But that, it's always felt odd too. The thing where you're biting down <laughs> and you're right, it's too sharp and it cuts the inside <laughs> of your mouth. And it's clearly been designed to include everyone of all tooth size, mm-hmm. I think is what it is. It's mm-hmm. like a catch-all, so it's like a four-inch. <laughs> you're free to have up to a four-inch tooth with that technology and still get it all x-rayed, I guess. But I, during the pandemic, no one hated wearing a mask more than me. You know, you okay. had to wear one outside all the time in New York City. But then there was a freedom to it, and I realized my teeth were so bad my sister Amy says that always it looked like I swallowed a bomb and time throws a nanosecond after it went out. So my teeth like, <laughs> looked like they just started to explode out of my mouth and then froze. So they were like really wide spaces in my upper teeth and they stuck out kind of like a, a donkey's. And, and wearing the mask, I thought, oh, I'm not being judged on my teeth now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. right. Especially when you go into a fancy hotel or a fancy shop. And when you ask about something, they look at you, and I know they do it, and they think, if you really had money, you'd spend a little bit of it in the dentist's office. <laughs> and I know that's what they're thinking, and I can feel it. Mm-hmm. So I went, I got braces during the pandemic. I oh, got you did? Yeah. Oh, what a great time to do it. Yeah, because I didn't have any tours, and I was wearing a mask. So I got braces and then they had to push teeth around because I was missing one. And so I was missing a top tooth. I just never got it. And so the braces pushed my teeth apart and they popped a fake tooth in there. So yesterday was my last appointment. Oh, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, they look gorgeous. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I haven't been able to look at my teeth in the mirror in like 40 years because it was a, a genuine phobia. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So... Now I can, but I don't know how to smile because I never, in the mirror, I never did it. And so this is my smile. Uh, <laughs> this is awful. It's really good. It's, no, it's it's good. So can I show you what it looks like to me? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It's just I know, it looks so it's cute so on creepy. you. And there's a hint, too, of like, is he angry? And then you're like, oh, no, it's kindness. It's mixed messages. It's so, like and that. we love mixed messages. And I still go like that when I talk to people. And then I think, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. Yeah. Was it freeing <laughs> or for real? Were you like looking in the mirror and you were like, oh, it didn't really change much? Like in your it head. It made such a huge difference in terms of my confidence. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. All I wanted was for somebody to say, if someone said to you, what were his teeth like? You'd say, I don't know. That's all I wanted. Unremarkable. Right. I didn't yeah. want like blinding teeth. I was fine with like chips and stuff Forgettable like that. Forgettable teeth. Yeah. 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 Well, can I theorize about what happened? First of all, I can relate to you because what you see in front of you is the product of 14 years of orthodontia. I started mm. in first grade and didn't get them done wow. until 11th grade. So I love this bomb analogy. But mine was that I always say that it is as if God just chucked my fucking teeth at my face and I was smiling and they just kind of landed. They were pointing every which way and tons of gaps and a huge overbite. And thank God my mom just kind of intervened. But I'm wondering if your teeth... Did you look at your teeth in the mirror when you were young and you did the same thing you did to everything, which is like, fuck, it's just not what I want and tough shit and I'm going to get over it and stop thinking about it. And I'm never going to think about it again. <laughs> now, I had braces, but I didn't wear my retainer. Oh, you know? oh, oh, oh okay. My sister Lisa used hers as an ashtray. Okay. <laughs> and this didn't happen to her. So <laughs> I've always had like quicksand gums. Like I can fall asleep on my face and I wake up and my bite's different. Okay, oh okay. So, so you just needed an afternoon in braces to get everything sorted out. How long were you in them? 14 weeks. Oh, oh my wow. God. That's nothing. Yeah, these invisible braces. Oh, invisible. Yeah, they're amazing. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I started reading Carnival of Snackery yesterday, your new book, and it's weird to interview you because I want your approval more than I want anyone to learn anything about you. That's kind of my priority on these, in these interviews with you. Normally, I really want people to learn about the guests, but with you, I just want you to like me and for us to somehow become friends at some point. I just want to own my intentions. So, okay. So I read one of your stories and I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic because we've had a very similar experience once again. So are you open to telling us about some of these? So just really quickly, A Carnival of Snackery is your journal entries, kind of a compilation of your journal entries. And they're not what you would think, like, oh, I'm wrestling with this, or they're things that just happened, you observed, you were a part of. You, a lot of it's about just watching TV, which I love. But could you tell me about going to the museum and the, the young boy you were worried about? Oh, I was at the British Museum, and there was a a group of like five or six people at the next table and it was a young boy in a wheelchair. And I don't know, I don't remember now how old he was. Maybe he was like 13 or something. And I just felt so sorry for him because I don't know, it's just got to suck to be in a wheelchair. And then I was imagining his life and thinking, oh, he probably didn't have too many friends. Because you'd have to have a ramp to have friends like that. Like I often say to people, do you have any paralyzed friends. 
And they right. say, no. And I say, do you have a ramp in front of your house? And they say, no. And I said, well, then you're not going to have any. You put a ramp up and you'd be surprised. Your address books can be full of paralyzed friends. They just can't get to you right now. So I saw this kid and I was feeling so sorry for him. And then his mother wheeled him away from the table, and I saw that it was a rental chair, and he had a cast on his foot. And I wanted to say, fuck you for making me feel sorry for you. But it wasn't him. It was just me thinking that. But you know how that is when you misspend your sympathy? Absolutely. Uh I think that, yeah, the last line you say is, like, you're resentful that he made you pity him. Okay, so mine that's similar that I want to tell you is, I was in Nashville and I was eating at one of these hot chicken restaurants that I love and I would go to quite often. And I had prior to this never met the owner or anything. And there's a huge deck in front of the place and then there's inside eating. So I'm outside on the deck with a friend and a man comes out and he's older. He's probably like 67 or so. And he goes, excuse me, are you Dex? And I go, yeah, yeah. Hey, you think I could get you to come on inside and um, say hello? There's a there's a little cripple girl inside, and she's a big <laughs> fan of yours. And I just thought maybe if you come and get a picture with her, boy, that might mean a, the world to her being crippled and all. So if you're up for that, and I said, oh, a- yeah, absolutely. All right, great. So he goes inside, and now I'm on my own to go in and take a picture with this girl. And, of course, he's used the word cripple twice, which I was like, I don't think you can really say that word out loud at your own restaurant. Whatever. I go inside and I find her similarly. She's at like a table. So then I I stand behind her and I'm like touching her very sincerely and her parents are taking a photo. And then I kind of glance down to see what it is. And same thing, she has a broken leg with a cast. Mm. And I was like, she's, she has a fracture. <laughs> and I've gone in there like, it's kind like of now like a make-a-wish a make situation. A wish, yeah. And then I, yeah, and of course I couldn't be resentful at her. She didn't describe herself as cripple. It was the owner of this chicken restaurant. But yeah, kind of similar mix-up. <laughs> but don't you think part of it, you were bummed because you... <laughs> subconsciously thought like it was giving yourself a little more importance than it was like oh, like, like I was gonna mean a I lot had to her. the ability to change this whole this person's <laughs> life who's dying and really it was just like a normal fan yeah and, and by the way I'm not even sure she was a fan as much as maybe her parents knew who I was <laughs> or maybe the owner wanted the picture for the restaurant no he asked if I was Dex he was hearing my name for the first time mm-hmm. inside and on the way out he kind of garbled it. And made it Dax, which was fine. I don't want to correct him. But anyways, I'm glad that we both had that kind of a... Well, you know, sometimes I feel the same. Like, I'll do a book signing after an event, and people with wheelchairs will come to the front of the line, and it's like, you have a seat. You know what I mean? These other people are going to be standing in line for five, six, seven hours. There's no reason why you should come to the front of the line. None. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But it's God. true. I know. It what you're saying is, is really, really. It is yeah, true, but. It's, it's atomically correct. They are sitting. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, if it was somebody on a cane, somebody yeah. who has a Let's hard time standing. Let's get them standing. to the front of yeah. the line. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If you're on a cane or a walker or. or even if you're pregnant. Those, pregnant. Mm. That's right. Yeah. That's nice. How would you feel this is, what if someone's really extremely overweight? Like it's clearly a really a struggle to stand. That's happened before. And I brought them to the front of the line, but it's a little bit tricky because they say, why don't you bring me to the front? 
then you feel like right. this has happened before. And I've said, oh, my God. oh, I don't know. I just, you're wearing blue. And today it's, you know, you come up with some <laughs> shit, but that's what you're thinking. Because I have a friend who's, oh, gosh, she was probably, she's 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. And she came to visit me one time. I was on tour. I had to go to the Apple store. And so I said, let's just go to the Apple store. And it, it was only like eight blocks away. And I didn't realize she said something later. It's like, you can't really walk eight blocks when you weigh 500 pounds. It just made me think of things in a different way. But yeah, it's hard. So yeah, so if I see a, like a super obese person, yeah, I try to find a way to bring them to the front. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you. Because you were, not to out you, you were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be (laughs) specific. Rob and I received some texts Yeah, I was locked out of my therapy setting, (laughs) which is this attic. (laughs) But then you felt much better after. I felt much better, and I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful, and if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. 
Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. I'm trying to like come up with a theory on why you're allowed to be funny in the manner you are. And I think there's a, I have a bunch of explanations and I'm curious if you even think about it. And if you do, which ones you agree with or disagree with. I think one is, I think first and foremost, you're just brilliant. So I think when you're brilliant, you get away with murder. Like Larry David, I don't know if you saw that episode where he had a MAGA hat and he started wearing the MAGA hat everywhere in LA to get some privacy and stuff. And it was just, the, the whole way it was handled was like, He's the only guy in Hollywood that could have done it. It was so perfect, and I just fucking loved it. So one explanation is just you're so brilliant that even if you're probably trying to read it to get offended, you're probably chuckling along the way, and then you maybe give up. That's maybe one thought. And then I guess the fact that, yeah, you're not like a power forward in the NBA, and you're like super dominant physically or something. I'm just wondering what if you have any theories on why you're able to Speak so blatantly about things. Well, right? you just have a great sense of humor that is almost a little bit throwbacky. I've had people come up before and say, I can't believe the things you get away with saying on stage. And I always I say, what? What did I say? Like, I went to a warehouse in Indiana to sign 15,000 books. Oh, my God. Right? And this was not even Indianapolis. It was in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. And so... There were like four people helping me out. And they told me, one of them told me that she'd gotten written up recently for saying to somebody, Brenda, it's not rocket science. Because, see, that made Brenda feel stupid. So she got written up for it. (laughs) And this is at a factory in Indiana. So when they told me all the things they're not allowed to say, I thought, okay, well, compared to you, I am, I mean... My British publisher told me they're no longer allowed to say in the office, may I have a word with you? Because it's triggering to people and they, it makes them think they're getting fired. Oh. So you can't say, may I have a word with you? I suggest that instead they say, you know what? You're fucking fired. And <laughs> may I have a word with you? <laughs> I don't have a real job, so it's never really been... I can be more specific. Like, I'll be reading, like, I was reading it this morning, and I'll see, well, I love the one where a homeless person calls you ugly. I think that's that's just a tremendous <laughs> story in so many ways. But you're describing things as fat or ugly. I guess I just, when I read it, I'm like, I'm surprised he doesn't get any shit. And then, so one of my other theories is just like, Almost to your point about who comes to your book signings, which is they're probably largely the number one unifiers. They're probably college educated. So is it just that like the only people that are even aware of it are in on it. So it's not a thing. The wrong people that are like scanning the universe for that stuff aren't even stumbling across your work. Does that make any sense? Like the moral police or the social police? Well, yeah, I've been doing these commentaries on CBS Sunday morning. Right. Uh And it can be about whatever I want for two minutes. And so I did one on egregious customer service. And I started off by 10 years ago, right? My sister Amy and I went to this place in London and we bought these delicate cups and saucers, right? And it cost like $700. 
So the woman takes Amy's credit card and she puts it in and says, well, your card was rejected. And we said, well, maybe if you put it in the other way, right? <laughs> she put the card in backwards. And then the card works. And then she says, like, okay, then there you go. And we said, what do you mean? She said, well, I don't have anything to wrap them in, and I don't have any bags oh or anything. And I said, so we're supposed to bring them across town like this? And she said, well, they're years. You bought them. And so I had a fantasy for something I call the citizen's dismissal. And in a situation like that, you say to the person, did you bring a purse with you to work today, or do you have a jacket or anything? Good, good. I want you to go get both of them. And then get the fuck out of here. You're fired. I'm firing you. And so it, it was a couple instances of egregious customer service from 10 years ago, right? Right. And then somebody tweeted, David Sedaris is trying to fire essential workers during the pandemic. Oh. And then my publicist, my publicist called me and said, I think you should know that this is happening. So uh-huh. I don't have Twitter or anything, but it was like thousands of people. It was like a mob yeah. that came after me. Okay. But CBS put a transcript on the website, but two pages, that's too much to read. Right, right sure. of course. So it was all yeah. these people. But then I have a friend in the media, and he said afterwards, he said, uh, yeah, he said, that was pretty bad. Did you apologize? And I said, I don't have anything to apologize for. And he right. said, well, if people perceived that you did that, you need to apologize. And it's like, what do I say? I'm sorry you're stupid? Like, how do I <laughs> yeah. apologize? I said, I, anyway, it was just surprising to me. See, I could be canceled. I wouldn't even know it because I don't have social media. Yeah. yeah. You're right. I think about that all the time. Like, I guess I'm only aware of any of these outrage movements through social media. I don't actually see it on the news or anything. Yeah. For the most part. I don't part. know that my audience would know it either. No, right. I didn't know, know exactly. that. I had no clue. If somebody came to me and said, pictures just surfaced of Dax Shepard wearing like a Cherokee funeral headdress you yeah. know, with a Nazi uniform, uh-huh. I don't know. I would still talk to you. I wouldn't. <laughs> right. You I would just be... think, well, that's a weird combination. <laughs> I wrote this thing about LGBTQQIA, right? And one of those Qs stands for questioning. And I was like, when you make up your mind, you can have a letter. But until then, I really don't think you deserve one. And somebody left the theater saying, you know, if I were gay, I would have been really offended by that. And Mm. it's like, well, you're not gay. So why are you even thinking about that? Like, I don't... I don't know. I'm just not offended by stuff. I'm not like if I see a comedian, like an old school comedian, like doing a mincing kind of a gay impersonate, that doesn't offend me. Mm. I don't know what it is. I just don't care. Can you think of what does offend you? Yeah, I'm offended by animals in sunglasses. Okay, okay, sure. Like on a photograph or in a cartoon, they put sunglasses on. It's supposed to appeal to kids, right? Sure. The kids are supposed to think that's cool. And my objection isn't that then some five-year-old is going to go put a pair of aviator sunglasses on a Boston Terrier. I don't care about that. I just object to teaching kids that that's cool because it's so lame. It's the same thing as like when they go to kids, high five. That's just old and it's just. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing. So 
I don't know. I'm offended by that. Have you ever felt guilty about anything you've said on stage or regretful of any of the things you've put in a book? I mean, there's an essay I regret because it hurts somebody's feelings, but gee, I can't really think of anything. Yeah. I mean, now with a book, they have sensitivity readers, right? So mm. a sensitivity reader reads your book and then says, well, you need to get rid of this and this and this. But you have to, at this point anyway, you have to request the sensitivity read. Oh. So I've never requested one. Okay. Right. Okay. I could request one. My editor was telling me about somebody, and she was a, a writer, and she'd written an essay about going to India, right? So she said, can I have a sensitivity read on this? Because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So when older Indian woman read it and said, oh, I think this is fascinating and I absolutely love this. And then an uh, Indian American woman, like in her 20s, was offended by every single line of it. Mm. So I think that's... Um, Relevant. That seems pretty normal, I think, mm. that it's the younger people who are going to be more offended by something than older people. And I don't yeah. know if it's just true. that our skins are thicker. Well, I think what you were allowed to say is I watch a lot of these documentaries and it'll show a lot of footage from the 90s of basically late night talk show monologues, be it like the Monica Lewinsky scandal or when Britney Spears was in trouble. And what they would say just 25 short years ago is be like, oh, she's a slut. Does he like the big slaughter? Does he like the smart girl? And when I watch those, I go, oh. I almost didn't even know that was the water I grew up in, where that is what everyone said on late night talk shows, and they don't anymore. And so, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we grew up in a much different era where people said pretty actually offensive things regularly on TV. So maybe our barometer is just different for that. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I mean, sometimes people write me letters, angry letters, and... Sometimes you, know, you want to write back in a way that someone can hear you. Yeah, right? yeah. Like I was signing books, right? And this guy came up and said, I was with some friends last night. We were in a bar and all of us were having a good time and telling jokes. And I said, what do you do if an epileptic has a fit in your bathtub? Throw in your laundry. And then <laughs> this, this guy behind me said, hey, my brother was an epileptic and he died in the bathtub. Oh, my and the, God. And the guy was like, fuck. He said, did he drown? And the guy said, no, he choked on a sock. <laughs> so, so it was a joke that somebody snuck in, right? Yeah, like, that's I love right. that kind of joke. Yeah, yeah, so then yeah. somebody wrote me a letter and they're very offended and they said, I'm a person with epilepsy and I have to take all this medication. And so I wrote back and said, that to me, that's a joke about a joke being slipped in, right? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what that's about. It's not about epilepsy. Like a woman came up and said, my father just died. And a neighbor said, if you don't mind, I'd like to say a word at his funeral. So the neighbor got up and said, plethora. <laughs> and so I said to the neighbor, thank you so much. That means a lot. <laughs> so again, it's just a joke that you can sneak in instead of saying to somebody, I got a joke for you. Or how about a joke? So I wrote to the person with epilepsy, and I wouldn't not tell that joke again because I 
pretty sure that I'm right about it. Well, Monica has epilepsy and she just laughed really hard. (laughs) I guess the thing that I get kind of bummed about, this happened like a couple weeks ago. Monica and I were talking about some subject on the show and I'm very perverted. I'm always talking about penises and testicles and stuff. And so this gal wrote in the thing, you know, you're going too far with Monica. She's very uncomfortable and she clearly doesn't want to tell you. And just because you've been friends for a long time, please listen to your female audience on this topic. Oh, wow. And so, of course, I'm like immediately kind of angry. I'm defensive on all these things. And then I basically just write like. I think you would feel that way if I were saying those things in front of you and I would understand, but you should probably ask Monica before you tell me how Monica feels. And I think that is so often the case. It's like you're kind of apologizing to advocates and not the person who's theoretically upset by it. That's when it, to me, it gets a little like, come on guys. If someone tells me that really I was talking to, uh, that they were uncomfortable, of course I would change my delivery for them. But you telling me how Monica felt in a situation I'm probably not getting on board with. But see, one thing you're not allowed to say to people anymore is like, on a scale of one to 10, how uncomfortable were you? I mean, let's put it on that scale. But now you're not allowed to ask people that anymore, right? Because all that matters is that they were made to feel unsafe or that they were insulted or that they were offended. And you're not allowed to say, how offended? Because like when my needle's between nine and 10, I might say something about it. But if it's hovering between one and two, mm. I, I'm, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm going to forget about it. Do you think you and I could agree right now on what a 10 is? Like I'd like to submit as a 10 is like your carry. They tricked you into thinking you were the prom queen and then they dumped <laughs> pig's blood all over you in front of the entire school. Like that's a 10. <laughs> So where is this diabetes joke on that scale? Right. I guess it's also just you have to know, like the woman who is offended by the epilepsy joke. I wish she would have some self-awareness that what's happening is she's triggered, I guess, by her own connection to that disease. But she's not really triggered by the joke. It's just she's bummed out that that's something in her world. And it shouldn't be then transferred onto, well, there can't be jokes about it or there can't be this. Like, I don't know. I think people don't do enough like self-reflection as to what's really happening in that moment when they're offended. Oh, well, sometimes it's just a word that's used. And then people think it's a joke about trans people. And it's like, No, it's actually not. You just heard the word trans and you went full alert and you stopped and you didn't listen to the rest of the joke or the rest of the story. And that happens quite often. I was in England when I just got back. We have this woman who helps out in the garden sometimes. She helps my boyfriend out in the garden. And anyway, so I walked into the kitchen and she was saying to Hugh, she was saying, so anyway, this guy didn't look gay. And he didn't sound gay. So we were all shocked when we found out that he was. And so that was my moment to say, oh, what does a gay person look like or sound like? But she meant well. And even though she would have been the first person, I mean, she has scolded me before (laughs) over a similar thing. But I didn't want to be like her. And so I didn't say anything because I don't want to be that person. Because, again, that was like maybe a two 
on the scale. Yeah. Similarly, we were in England and we had these friends coming for Christmas. And so we hired a car to go meet our friends at the airport, right? And so we said to the dispatcher, we said, there are two men. And he said, are they flamboyant? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so I guess I could have said, oh, right, because all gay men are flamboyant. But instead, I just laughed. And it was like he handed me a little present. I mean, it's such a good little story to tell. And I... No, absolutely no problem with what he said. So that's a one or a two to you, and I'm, I'm glad it is. But I guess there's a scenario where you're still living in a very small town and you're not getting gainful employment because people are homophobic. And then maybe that sentence is more impactful to you. Yeah, that's why I moved. so you can stay in the small town and you can feel all those feelings or you can fucking move to a better place and put it all behind you (laughs) (laughs) have your own show on sunday mornings yeah (laughs) where are you at currently because we're going to england in a couple weeks for like three weeks you know before i went to england everyone Right. Everybody, like uh, even the the doormen in my building were like, England, that's not safe at all. You know, you can't be going to England. I didn't see that at all. The only thing there is I had to take a COVID test to fly to England. And in New York, there are trucks parked on the street and it was free. I went, there was no line. It was free. And in England, it's kind of screwy how much it costs to get a COVID test. Like I paid 125 pounds for one that would give me my results in 24 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like, what, like 200 bucks? Yeah, and then it changes, the rules change pretty quickly. But you know what, one that was really nice about being there, like on the subway, you're supposed to wear a mask. And probably on the subway, I don't know, half people, half the people had masks on, but the other half weren't like, yeah, what are you gonna do about it? Yeah, what are you yeah, going to do about yeah. it? So there was none of that confrontational. It, it was more like, oh, I can't do it anymore. Or I left my mask at home. But it wasn't. I'm a patriot. Yeah. It just felt, all of that stuff felt easier to me there. A mask wasn't a campaign button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Do you think you will write a book about quarantine? Because I kind of want your point of view on the whole experience, because I know mine, I've heard a lot of people's, I have to imagine you have some kind of novel take on that whole experience. I wrote an essay about it. I'm going to start a tour tomorrow. I'm going to 70 cities. And well, the first show was supposed to be Wednesday and that got canceled. So, I mean, it's pretty late in the day to cancel tomorrow, but that doesn't mean they can't cancel it. But so I have this story an essay that I wrote about COVID. And I'm curious to see, because maybe people will be like, you know what, this is the first event we've gone to since then. Do we have to sit here and listen to this? So I I don't know. I'm not sure how it will work. One thing I thought was interesting during COVID (laughs) is like in the New York Times, they have a real estate section and Cecilia Ward, the actress, she was selling her loft in Soho. And it was like, it wasn't that big. It was like 1,200 square feet or something. And there was an interview with her. And she said, I cut it up into different spaces so I could create and eliminate spaces. But it's too small for when we have company because it wound up being only one bedroom. Right? But I was fascinated by the one downsmanship that happened during the pandemic. 
right? And that people like, oh, how nice that 1,200 square feet is too small for you, Celia Ward, while there are entire families living in, in, in a studio apartment. You can't even, like, if I wrote in an essay, I woke up and washed my face. Oh, how nice. I sold my face so I could support my family. I sold. And now when I eat, all the food falls out onto my lap because I don't have cheeks to hold it in anymore. Like, and you couldn't say anything. Like when oh, Ellen yeah. DeGeneres started doing her show from home, people were like, she lives in a mansion. It's like, yeah, bought with money you gave her. Right. You know I mean, how are you surprised that that's her home? And then when she made that joke, she said, um, oh, I feel like this is like prison. I'm wearing the same clothes every day and everyone in here is gay. How dare she? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm sorry, that's just funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like in England, in England, if you tell somebody where you live and then there's always some lip. I mean, oh, that's posh. You know, oh. like you moved there in order to make them feel bad. And it's like, well, you asked me where I lived. I didn't lead with that. I'm just answering your question. Right. And there's a real sort of sourness there that you never see in, in America. I mean, in America, you're not poor. You're just not rich yet. You know, like people have that yeah. mindset that I'm just not rich yet. And the pandemic was the first time I saw that really kind of tarnish. Because generally speaking, we celebrate rich people in the United States. Well, it's tricky, though, because it's like how you frame it. So, like, people aren't mad at lottery winners, but they're very mad at Paris Hilton. Hmm. That's a contradiction. But if Paris Hilton was ugly, if she was Christina Onassis, then I don't think that People wouldn't would, be mad that she had yeah, made I don't money. Think they would. Oh, that's a good— It's just jealousy. Right. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. Ooh. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia. Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle yes. Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia? Yeah. It mm. was a very common beach destination. Ugh. Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. We are supported by Wayfair. Home should be your happy place, a space where you can relax and just enjoy yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Whether you want the ultimate man cave, a cozy Victorian-inspired nook for reading, an area for family movie night filled with all things retro or something else. And if you need help creating that space, I recommend Wayfair. It's the place to shop for everything home, from sofas to dining tables, beds, rugs, wall art, and more. I bought a KitchenAid... Mixer? Mixer on Wayfair. You can really get anything on there. And I'm helping a friend 
redo his living room and we just you're just on way for nonstop. yep yeah it's one-stop shop it is they have fast free shipping they have everything you need for your home inside and out they have a huge selection of home goods and a variety of styles whatever you're into wayfair is the go-to destination to help bring your vision to life every style is welcome in the waberhood visit wayfair.com or get the wayfair mobile app that's w-a-y-f-a-i-r.com wayfair every style every home if you listen for a while ag1 shouldn't be new to you what's not new to me i've been a fan for over six years i have it every morning i had it this morning but if you haven't tried it yet seriously it's such an easy way to improve your health it replaces multiple health supplements like multivitamins digestive aids immune support and more in just one simple scoop in 60 seconds I know I'm covering my nutritional bases and setting myself up for success to tackle the day. And for how simple it is, it's crazy what a difference it makes. It's full of prebiotics for my gut, vitamin B to keep my energy up, magnesium for my stress levels. I could keep listening to ingredients and benefits all day, but you just need to know it works. So I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. If you want to find out your newest healthy habit, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dax. That's drinkag1.com dax. Check it out. For people who have not read, I read your New Yorker essay about the wake of your father. My father, he died, and then there were, it was just endless. There was a funeral at the Greek church, and that service, it was hours long, and mm-hmm. half of it's in Greek, and it's exhausting. And then, that was in North Carolina, then there was a burial in New York State. Oh, wow. And then there was another service at the Greek church. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it was just no the cliches that you hear when somebody dies, right? Either yeah. written or spoken. Like uh, somebody wrote me and said, you know, I know you and your father had your differences, but you need to remember he did the best he could. Fuck you. <laughs> no, he didn't. I mean, what's that based on? That we all do the best that we can do? How dare you say? Just... Why would that you even let that shit come out of your mouth? What would it taste like coming out? Yeah. Now, I, would, I would never say that to somebody. Well, he did the best he could. I mean, if that was his best, he was really pathetic. You know? <laughs> right. You're like, if someone spent their whole life basically beating other people with coat hangers, that wasn't the exact example. But And then at the end of that, someone says, well, they did the best they could. Well, then also, he'll always be with you. Ugh. <laughs> 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 that was 64 years was enough. I don't, <laughs> I don't need him with me. <laughs> and I know nobody knows what to say in a situation like that. And I'm guilty of the same thing when people have died, but there's only so much of it you can take. Yeah. Can I ask, how much of this journal that compiles a carnival of snackery, I mean, there's things from 2003 all the way up to... End of 2020. 20, yeah. First, are they actually literally coming right out of the page of your journal? And then 
two, what, what's the process like of you going through all that and curating what will be this book? It took a long time because there's only so much you can sit and read your old diary. My diary is not embarrassing, like perhaps because I don't write about my feelings, right? You protect so there yourself. wasn't any of that to be embarrassed about. There were things to be embarrassed about. You wouldn't believe the amount of time I spend writing about shopping. I mean, it's uh. crazy. And horrible things can be going on in the, in the world. They're not mentioned at all, you know? They're, yeah. September 11th, 2001. Found a great deal on sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> I started writing on computer 2000. Even your journal? Yeah. But oh. I print it out and make a book out of it at okay. the end of every season. But my deal is that like this morning I wrote in my diary and one week from today, I will revisit what I wrote today and I'll clean it up. That oh. means if there are three sentences in a row that start with the word he, I'll just clean it up. So my di this diary was pretty clean. You oh. know, I would, sometimes I would put things in like I would say, uh, my friend Brian, because the reader might think, who's Brian? Right. Or change a name because the editor said, well, people might think you're talking about your sister, Amy. So maybe change this Amy's name to something else. Right. But it's pretty cleanly written. And how much will you write in general each day? Well, today I wrote two pages, but the day before yesterday, I wrote five pages. I go out at midnight and walk for five miles. Wait, every the, night in the city or in the country or wherever Everywhere. you're at? Everywhere. And you walk five miles a night? Yeah. How long does that take? It would take like an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. Who do you go with? I go by myself. Every now and then I'll go with somebody. But two nights ago, and when you're on the Upper East Side, you can not run into anybody. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I've had like three little run-ins with people that were like uncomfortable. So a couple nights ago, I'm walking up Park Avenue and I turned right on 72nd Street and there's this woman and she said, I'm just finishing smoking this joint, but I never smelled pot. Uh -huh. She was smoking something. And then she said, hey, baby, you need a date? You want a date? Oh. I'm tight. I got a nice tight pussy. You want some oh, nice wow. tight pussy? And then oh. she was glomming on to me, right? Oh. She was maybe in her late 20s. She had a t-shirt on that had stains on it. She'd just <laughs> gotten out of somewhere. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. Like jail yeah. or psychiatric <laughs> hospital. Yeah. And to get her away from me, I said, I'm gay. She said, I'll fuck you up the ass then. Oh, wow. the ass. She's versatile. Yeah. Wow. And then nothing would talk her out of it. So <laughs> I, I went to a building with a doorman and I went and knocked on the door. And the doorman came and said, what do you want? Are you together? As I said, no. She said, yes. And I said, no, we're not oh together. Oh, my God. We're not together. I said, she won't leave me alone. And she said, he's gay. He's gay. He don't want any of my pussy. I told him I'll turn him. I said, I'll fuck you in the ass. I'll turn you. And the doorman said, you don't know that he's gay. Maybe he's just married. Maybe he's a family man. And I'm like, oh my why are we talking about this? You know, like, can't you shoot her? Like, <laughs> and it was one of those situations. Nothing 
<laughs> nothing would make her go away. Nothing oh. that was said. And so that took five pages the next day. Because yeah. I did not want to leave anything out of that. Because it just got crazier and crazier, like when the doorman got involved. And it turned out she had just been there and asked to use the bathroom. And, they were oh. like, and he sent her away. So he thought that I ran into this woman and I thought, you can't treat people like that. And then I was oh. going to bring her there. And say, you have to let her use the bathroom. So that's what he was wary of. It wasn't my building. And she's like, you're afraid of a woman. You're a faggot, afraid of a woman, afraid of a woman. And it's like, not all women, but you're <laughs> pretty scary. You. You Certainly know? you. <laughs> I think the best way to have gotten rid of this woman was to say, I don't have any money. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You're right. You know, now that you Because she kept saying, it. I need some dick. And it's like... <laughs> No, that's not what you, I mean, really what you need. No, yeah, no. Exactly. You need some money, and I didn't have any money on me. <laughs> Plus, where would we go? Yeah. Can I ask, is there a rural version of this walk you take? Yeah, yeah. When I'm in Sussex. Yeah. I just got back from England, and we were mainly in Sussex. And so I walk five miles a night there, and, and every single night I see a hedgehog. Oh, you do? Yeah, sometimes I would see four. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen a hedgehog? Never. No. No, they're super cute, though, right? Yeah, and when you come up on one, it just, its only defense is prayer. And it's just, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. me." And they just freeze there until you walk away. Oh. Prayer. It was beautiful. Well, I want to ask if you, because I do a lot of nighttime walking. Too. Not as much now that I have kids because I have to wake up so early, but I love to do it. And part of the reason I love to do it is I start concocting these fantasies. Like when you're out in the country at night, it's scary. I don't know. I find it, even if it's not scary, it's easy to let your imagination wander. Like I'm going to see a big creature or I'm going to, someone's going to pull over and try to kill me. And something about that I really love, like I really buy into whatever fantasy I'm concocting and I'm getting more and more scared throughout it, which I enjoy. Does that, is any of that happening for you? Yeah, like one night I thought I passed this little path that leads into the woods and I said, what if I looked over there and I saw zombies feasting on a human body? <laughs> yeah. And then I was just terrified from then on, just yeah. terrified. I've picked things up like I've convinced myself so much I'm going to see a werewolf or something that I'll I'll, like I'll find a two by four and I'll just start carrying that or I'll pick up a rock. I love it. It reminds me of being like eight and being scared. But generally speaking, it's scarier in New York. Since I ran into that woman a couple nights ago, I haven't gone out at night. And instead, I go out first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. and I'll get over it. But I was walking home from my sister's house one night and these two men came around the corner And I was like on 7th Avenue or something, and they kind of herded me. And so the hair stood up on my back. But it turned out one guy was just trying to get away from the other guy, right? Mm. And so the guy that was left said, are you for power or are you for peace? And that's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) And I said, I'm for peace. And he said, me too. And then it it turned out we were going to go to Brooklyn. He and I were going to go to Brooklyn together. And can I ask you a really quick follow-up question, though, about saying that you prefer peace? Sure. Did you consider whether you were going to give him your real answer or the answer you thought would get rid of him? The answer that would get rid of him. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't have any money on me. I don't bring my wallet when I go out late at night. But then I thought later, if someone's robbing you, if you said, I don't have any money, they're not going to believe you. They're, you're still going to get beat up, but you'll be able to keep your ID. 
Well, how about just carrying like a 20 with you and no credit cards or anything you got to cancel? Well, that's what I should do just so I could get in a cab when I need to. Yeah. So this guy said we were going to go to Brooklyn and, and I said, I can't. I said, I have cancer and I'm going to get my cancer <laughs> medicine. I have to go get my cancer medicine. It was like 1.30 in the morning. Who goes to the hospital to get cancer medicine at 1.30? And I just said that because people are afraid of people with cancer, right? Yeah. And he said, cancer, he said, that's like COVID. It's just bullshit. And they're just trying to tell you that. We got pot and we got beer. We got what we need to cure ourselves. And I said, are you a doctor? And he said, no. And I said, then please don't tell me how to cure my cancer. <laughs> you got and, indignant. And then I was turning onto 34th Street, and he said, I'm coming with you. And I said, no. I said, I need some time to think about everything you've said to me. And then, and then that was it. Oh, my you know? God. He left me alone. Are you this open to me paling around with you at all? Seriously. Like, I, and I want a real answer. Am I open to... Paling around with me. Hanging like, out. Like, I would love to take that walk with you and just get oh, into... Oh, I would, I would like that. I would like that. Like, if you come to New York or something, yes. you can walk. I would love that. But the only thing you need to know, because I'm 64, yeah, I have to pee constantly. So I know every bathroom in New York. So that's, that's the thing, too. When I go out in the morning and I go to Central Park, I know all the bathrooms in Central Park. I mean, they're disgusting, but sure. I know them. And a couple times, I'm not proud to say it, I have peed in Central Park at night. You sure. Know, just behind a tree. I, if everybody did that, then it would just be disgusting. So I'm not proud of it. Yeah, that's not going to be a hurdle for our friendship at all because I drink fluid compulsively. So I'm peeing generally every like 40 minutes I pee. But you know how women go to the bathroom together? Yeah. Right? Men just don't. Right. I was doing a, a recording last year. I was at a recording studio. <laughs> And so I said to the engineer, I said, can you tell me where's the bathroom? He said, right down the hall. He said, I'm going too. Let's go. And then we <laughs> peed together. And it was just so weird. Men just don't do that. So what I usually do is if, if you say, oh, good, there's a bathroom. I would say, I'll wait while you pee. And then when you came out, I would say, you know what? I kind of feel like I should do it too. <laughs> so uh, okay. okay. That's how I would do that. I'm open to whatever version of that you want. It, I, have, I don't have any like real preferences about peeing with or without other people, but I do think what is different is that Stalls. we're going to see each other's penises yeah. if we pee together, or there's some real probable likelihood that we're going to see each other's penises. Whereas when a woman asks another woman to join her at the bathroom, there's no Separate threat of stalls. seeing each other's vaginas. I don't know. I mean, I think the reason guys don't go to the bathroom together is if you're just fucked up and they're not... <laughs> Yeah, just basically because they're fucked up in a way that women aren't. Like so, intimacy-wise? Intimacy-phobic. If someone sees two women going to a bathroom, they're not going to think like, oh, they're going in there to, to yeah, get it on. Yeah, true. But like my dad was telling me, my dad has a godson, and they both like golf, right? So my dad took his godson to see the, I don't know, some golf tournament, right? And my dad got them a room and he said, I'm afraid people are going to see us and think I'm a sugar daddy. You know, <laughs> see us going into a room together. Are you jealous of this godson at all? You know what? I should have been so jealous. He went to West Point. He oh. worked in finance. His name was Mike. And I was so grateful for him. Oh, he took the load off your shoulders. He was a son my dad never had. 
and I was I never never felt jealous of him. I just felt grateful to him. That's unexpected and good. What did your dad do for a living? He worked for IBM. Oh, and okay. then my dad's godson moved to London for a couple of years. So we started hanging out. And that was nice to kind of get to know him a little bit. Do you think there's parts of you that would remind one of your dad? I hope not. <laughs> you, well, look, I have had a long journey with my father. They got divorced when we were three and he split and whatever. I'm coming off of this story I have about him. But I will say this. For most of my life, I was trying to define myself in opposition of everything that he was. But the genetics just constantly, like, I'll look at my shoulder. I'm like, Jesus, man, that is exactly his shoulder. Like, it's same freckle pattern. It feels the same as my dad's. We have the same, like, hands. There's just all this stuff where I'm like, I'm so him. It's crazy, like it or not. And so I just wonder, do you have those things where you're like, oh, I am my dad, even though I. No, I don't have my father's body and I don't have his hair. I mean, it was really easy for me to believe that he's not my father. Oh, okay, Um, okay. I mean, if I found out that somebody else had fathered me, I wouldn't be terribly surprised by it. Have you ever done a 23andMe test? No. Could I pay for one for you? (laughs) What do I do? All you do is spit in a little um, plastic tube tube and then pop it in the mail. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll tell you... All kinds of fun things, like what you actually are ethnicity-wise. Well, I went on that TV show, Finding Your Roots. Oh, you did? Yeah, and they looked into my father's history and stuff, but that doesn't mean that he's my father. No, what would be very clear is if your mom's all Dutch and your dad's all English and you are all German and Dutch, well, we've got a problem. Right, I'm 2% Asian. Oh, that's exciting. Mm. But see, the thing is, I looked like my brother and I looked like my sister Tiffany. Okay. Three of us would have had to have a different... I mean, it's pretty clear that three of us have the same father. That doesn't mean it's my father. Right, right. (laughs) Are you guys in a row? No. Okay. Amy's in between you. Amy, my sister Gretchen are in between us. My late sister Tiffany and then my brother Paul. And we look like our mom. Mm. But Mm. like in terms of saying, oh, my God, I'm my father. No. I mean, one thing I noticed recently was at the funeral, people would say, your father was such a character. And a character is what you call an asshole after they're 85. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Once they have a cane, they're a character. But before that, they're just an asshole. Yeah, or like if you're a rascal, you're probably a sexual predator. Yeah. Oh, your dad was a rascal. Oh. (laughs) When you're moving through the world, because there was a period in my life, a few years, where all I did is write sketch comedy. So I ended up kind of, every experience I had was kind of somehow funneling into how could this be a three-minute sketch. Even if you met a weirdo that was your waiter, I would just be like, okay, so that could be a character. And then what happens to this person is, it's just how my brain worked for that period of time. When you're interacting, which sounds like you interact with people nonstop, in the interactions, are you ever going like, oh, yeah, girl, give it to me. Like, this is so per- <laughs> This is so wonderful. This is going to be a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing is, you don't want to get in the way of it. Right. right? You don't want to end it. Like, I have a notebook I carry around with me. And when you pull out your notebook, it kind of ends things because mm. people are more suspicious of a notebook than they are of a camera. Right? <laughs> oh, you're so right. You're right. 
Sometimes there have been things years ago, years and years ago, I was on the subway and someone mistook me for a pickpocket, right? And the person didn't think that I spoke English and he was talking to his friend. Oh that God. guy's trying to get his hand in your purse, you know, he could look at him, he's shifty and talking about me. And, <laughs> and I, wrote a, I wrote an essay about it and somebody said, why didn't you say to him, excuse me, I'm an American too and I'm not a pickpocket. Well, that would have ended it. Yeah. Right. You don't want to clear that up. You want to make it even more murky, maybe. Yeah. And it's the same with, like, if somebody's rude to me, right, or mean to me, it's like they're giving me money. Yeah. Right? So maybe that's why I'm not offended by things. I think, yeah. just what you said, give it to me, baby. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Come on, girl. Well, <laughs> what I was thinking is, like, the way you work as a writer is, I want to say it's almost more similar to like what a stand-up would do, which is like kind of move through the world, really take notice of something that's peculiar or interesting or different. It feels like that's how you work a little bit. I mean, I would say yes in the sense that I'm always on. I mean, uh -huh. I'm always looking for things. Like there's yeah. never a moment when you – I mean, my sister Amy turned to me after my dad's funeral and said – were you taking notes at the funeral? <laughs> like, yeah, I was. I mean, <laughs> so it's never turned off. Yeah. Because maybe at the beginning you think, oh, my God, I forgot to turn it on. When you're young, and yeah. you think, oh, I don't even, didn't even notice what was going on the past few days. But then you get into the habit of it, and then you're just always looking there's some bizarre genius to this, which I don't even know that you've considered, which is you could almost write a self-help book, which is if you proceed through life with the notion, oh, this place is just so fertile with so many interesting weirdos, that when you come across those weirdos, you're delighted. And it's almost about like your expectations are such that something inconvenient is a little treasure, yeah. is a little gift. And it seems like a really fun way to go through life. I think I have a bit of it, you know, like there are moments where something horrendous is happening and, and to me, and something just clicks in my head where I go like, oh my God, I can't wait to tell this story. And I got to really memorize every detail of what's going on right now with me. And it kind of makes me enjoy what would otherwise be maybe a miserable situation. Well, like that woman the other night, right? I can't say that I necessarily enjoyed that. And that's not something I wanted to keep going. Like, it never occurred to me to say, uh, yeah, why don't you fuck me up the, you know, yeah, <laughs> fuck me up the ass. I mean, that would have been a good story. I mean, where would we have gone? Would she have used a stick? I mean, yeah. I'll never know. Well, she had that look in her eye. You know that look? And that look says anything can happen. Like, I might claw your eyes out, or I might spit on you, or I might kiss you. And the man who said, are you peace or power, he had that same look. Uh -huh. So when there's actual true sense of danger, then you think, I just need to live so I can write yeah. about this. Yeah. yeah. I got to say one other thing back to your notepad that you pull out. I had this experience the other day where it was like I had clearly offended somebody in traffic with my driving. And instead of them taking a picture of my license plate, which happens occasionally to me because I drive too aggressively, this person pulled out what you just had, a, a fucking notepad, like you were a detective. 
and pulled up and was writing my license plate down on a notepad. And I thought, well, this is so much more dangerous. Like, I believe this person's got way more follow through in them Hmm. than the person that took a picture. They're going to forget about taking that picture probably in an hour. But the dude who's got this book might do some extra work later. It's more threatening. I've been stopped so many times. People saying, why are you writing down my license plate number? And it's like, I wasn't. I was writing down like... What if trees had teeth? <laughs> Writing down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dumb you know, thoughts. I'm just walking around in my own head, and I'm just writing down little notes. And, but the, the notebook terrifies people. Okay, so from my point of view, I feel like your life is really charmed and fun and playful and adventurous. Do you feel that way about your life? Are you having a good time? Yeah, I am. Yeah, good. I really, gee... Things worked out pretty well for me, I got to say. It's crazy to me. And does that make you naturally shift to, shit, I want to live a long time? Uh, You know, my dad was 98. And so I don't need to live that long. Once the diapers come out, it's Uh time to leave, as far as I'm concerned. But I love life. I think it's a difference, too, like when you're sober, Because there was that time you thought, oh, my God, how am I supposed to love life now? If I can't get high and if I can't drink, I just have to get through the rest of my life. And then to reach the point where you don't even think about you see people getting high and you think, well, good for you. You see people having one drink or 12 drinks and you say, oh, good for you. That would just make me sad now. Like if you said to me, you're going to die in a week, I wouldn't get drunk. I wouldn't get high. I wouldn't light a cigarette. So I wonder if you and I shared this at all. So when you were telling the story about the woman, what I immediately thought in my head was like, one thing I do miss about being a fuck up is that I ended up in so many crazy places. You know, like I've always said the most confusing thing to me about getting sober was going on vacation because what you do on vacation is you go to the bar and order a drink and then everything else just presents itself. In my experience, you end up with some strangers and then you're taking a walk through some Jamaican town and then you're in someone like all one needs to do is decide to have a drink and then it all kind of. So I had to learn how to have fun, I guess, and and be playful without that. But when you were telling the story about the woman, I was thinking, yeah, if I was single and drunk, even with some fear, I'm maybe let's go to a hotel and just see what happens. To your point, is she going <laughs> to grab a stick and drunk? I would be up for that. And then sober, I'm not. But all of this is to say that I was trying to convince a buddy of mine who it ended up working, my childhood best friend, the love of my life. I was asking him to consider going to treatment, and he did. This was two years ago. And I said to him, and I I very much meant it, I'm like, do you remember when we were 12 and we were just fucking on fire to leave the house and go wander around IGA and then try to steal a pack of cigarettes and then walk to the school? Like, do you remember how on fire we were just to be on this planet? I'm like, I got that back at some point in these last 16 years. I feel like I'm in eighth grade all the time. Like, I'm excited to walk out the door and stumble into some stuff. I have been too reliant and dependent on something else to give me that feeling, but I got it back, and I encouraged him that he could get it back. And by God, we were just together on a lake for a weekend. Nothing to do other than just ask each other, like, at gunpoint, would you rather suck your dad's dick or or eat your mom's (laughs) pussy. 
<laughs> oh my goodness, that's such a good question. It's a great question, wow. and I bet you can imagine how it lines up. Well, I would rather suck my dad's dick because I loved my mother and I adored her, and I think it would embarrass her if I ate her pussy. <laughs> and so I'd stick with sucking my dad's dick. Okay, thank you. I don't want to tarnish my mother like that. There's no it's right kind. or wrong answer in it, but that is the right answer. Plus, <laughs> I would suck at eating her pussy. Like, <laughs> I would get vomited in there. That's what yeah. I would do. Yeah, so the kind of the consensus, we've asked probably 40 people this question now, and generally women will go down on their mom and dudes will go down on their dads because there's something about the opposite sex factor that it's conceivable that neither party could ever get past that. But there's this hunch... I know there's a hunch for me that, like, me and my dad could get past that. Like, oh, that sucked. But here we are. But I don't know that my mother and I could ever have a relationship again, and she's my favorite person. So, yeah. I mean, my mother would be good about let's put it behind us. You know, she would say that. But <laughs> Let's move on. It would just be weird to see it, and I would just feel too bad for her. Yeah, yeah. But when you said something earlier about, oh, if you were drunk or high, you might have, with this woman, seen where it went. See, I wouldn't have been there in the first place because I couldn't leave the house when I was high. And I would have been high every night, so I could not have gone anywhere yeah. after 11 o'clock at night. I couldn't have gone anywhere. Plus, I drank so much beer that I had to pee every five minutes instead of every 20 minutes. So, yeah, you just drank on the toilet, I'm sure. Yeah. It freed me to different times of day as well. I'm glad you're reminding me of that because I like to forget certain aspects. But yes, initially partying got me to all the things I just described. But yes, at the end, it's just me at my desk doing cocaine at 10 in the morning on Sunday writing 12-page emails to people. That's the reality of me as right. an addict. I'm not out to meet that lady either. Yeah, I'm doing whatever weird thing I do at my desk for fucking 16 hours. <laughs> yeah, me too. It promised to open my world, but it closed it. Yeah. Were you worried sobriety was going to take away your superpower? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what kept me going for so long. Yeah. But it didn't at all. I mean, I changed the time of day that I write. I mean, I tried keeping my same schedule. And you know how that is. You think, oh, I'll find a substitute beverage. But it's like there were all stuff I would never have considered. Like, oh, pineapple juice. Like, you're not going <laughs> to. What are you going to drink? Like nine cans of pineapple juice? Yeah, you're being a diabetic coma by, uh, by Wednesday. <laughs> I enjoy talking to you so much. My last question is, given the seeming flexibility in your schedule that Either the five-mile walk can happen at midnight or it can happen first thing in the morning. What is your, like, schedule, and is it super variable, or how does it work? Usually it's pretty nailed down. You know? Okay. I mean, I'm at my desk by 10. Okay. Right? Every day, seven days a week. Like, I don't remember the last time I didn't work, the last day I didn't work. And then probably 1.30 or 2, I have lunch, and then I go and I walk some more because I usually walk between 15 and 20 miles a day wow. and I go back to my desk at like 7 30 8 o'clock and work for another hour and a half and then I like to have dinner really late I mean he was still in England my boyfriend so when he's out of town I'll eat dinner at midnight sometimes but now I don't eat at midnight because I'm out I'm out the door at midnight you know so I can get those steps in on my watch and they count for the next day 
Oh, right, 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 right. I see. I, the oh, but I've always, all my life, I have to do my laundry on Sunday at seven o'clock. And if it's seven o five, just, just everything, just everything just fell apart. Uh-huh. Right? If I can't. So everything was super, super strict schedule. And I'm a little bit looser now. I can handle things like if I get thrown off by an hour or something, I can find a way to deal with it. But I have my limits. Yeah. Like we had company a few weeks ago, and luckily it was Hugh's company, not mine. Right. So I still went to my desk at 10 o'clock, right? And when it's my company, I still go to my desk at 10 o'clock. And I just say to people, I'm so sorry, I have to work then. Yeah. And is this consistency driven by and motivated out of, at this point, it's literally just muscle memory? Or is it B, you enjoy it? Or is it C, you're a lazy fucking piece of shit if you don't start writing at 10? Like, what gets you there every day at 10? I started writing and I started writing at that time when I very first started, I think it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I did it the next day at two o'clock in the afternoon, the next day and the next day and the next day. Just I'm just wired that way. Right. But now it's just so entwined with who I am. I can't separate being at my desk at 10 o'clock in the morning from who I am. Maybe muscle memory then is the right choice. I don't have the constraints that you have. I don't have a family. Right. I don't have children. Right. And so I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I mean, one of the reasons uh, my boyfriend, Hugh, his dad was a writer. So Hugh grew up with somebody in the next room with the door closed writing. And that to him is comforting. The sound of the typewriter was comforting. Yeah. Whereas I'd been with people before and that felt like I'm shutting you out. Yeah. Abandoning you every day. Yeah. 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 But he was just used to it. But I can't imagine having children and having to, I mean, this doesn't mean you would be a horrible parent, but I mean, people have called me crying on the phone before and I've listened to the answering machine and I'm like, I'll have to call them back <laughs> after I'm finished here. Like I, of course. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> what if someone's like stranded, their car's broken down? Will you finish writing and then a, a deal with that? I don't drive. There's nothing I can do for that. <laughs> perfect, perfect. This is what I tell my mother. My mother leaves her phone on at night and she goes, well, what if there's an emergency? And I said, are you an EMT? Like, what are you going to do with this emergency you're alerted to? Like, provide CPR or a, a tourniquet? Like, you won't be needed in an emergency. You don't have any skills that are required in an uh-huh. emergency. <laughs> yeah, if I need someone to freak out on the sidelines, yeah, I'll be sure to give you a call. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, David, we love you. We adore you. I'm so glad you're still writing prolifically. And I really, really hope people will buy immediately on October 5th a carnival of snackery. And if you have the opportunity, you're doing 70 signings, did you say? I have 70 events. Wow. That's crazy. Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, Ann Patchett was supposed to go on a book tour and her book tour got canceled and my lecture tour got canceled. And she said to me, I don't want to be the reason people get together and could possibly get sick. That never occurred to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like absolutely fine with them gathering and even dying, you know, <laughs> just so long as 
I got to be on stage. Of course. So I can't. You can't take on all that responsibility. Yeah, you're only responsible for you dying on the tour. I can't wait for this to be in front. I went to an event at the 92nd Street Y two months ago. And the performers were exuberant. The audience was exuberant. It just felt great. And I'm sure... A lot of people maybe don't feel yet that it's time and stuff, and that's fine. You're not begging anyone to come to the event, as I understand, right? Oh, yeah, I'll beg. Oh, okay. Well, then, I mean, I, I then you might be culpable. You might be found culpable for some of these deaths. So, so right now it's 70. We'll see how many it turns out to be, but I got my new teeth. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. None of my jackets or shirts fit me anymore, so I went on this severe diet. And okay. I went down four belt notches. Wow. Oh, what a great way to measure it. Yeah, I never weigh myself. And if everything gets canceled, I fucking lost all that weight for yeah, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It'll have been for naught. Are you coming to LA? I'm going to go to Pasadena. Well, tell me. I'll take a walk with you. I think it's in November or something. I think my agent has a website. We'll look it up. I've never looked at myself on the computer, but I think if you look me up on the computer, it goes to my agent's website, and then he, Stephen Barclay, a lecture agent, and then he's got my schedule on there. Okay, so I'll go on the computer, on the (laughs) internet, and to find your agent, but it's November 12th, we just realized. November 12th? Yeah, and so all I'm saying is I would meet you at midnight, on November 12th and walk hmm. with you five miles if you want. I would love to do that. That'd be a really nice way to do it. You don't have to answer, but I'm going to warn you right now. Like you might think to yourself, oh, this will kind of be an interesting thing. I'll be walking with him and he's 6'2 and 210 pounds. I'll probably feel a little safer, but I want you to know it attracts a different kind of thing. It might be counterintuitive to you. Well, see, I was talking to somebody the other day. Who was it? Oh, it was one of the doormen in my building. And he was telling me something that happened to him. And I said, you know, it could be because you're small. Uh-huh. I said, I mean, I'm small too. So a lot of things happen to me because I'm small. <laughs> and then people think, well, he'd be pretty easy to beat up. Right, you know? right, right. Especially now that I lost all that weight. I'm small and I'm slight. Yeah. And I can't, I can't blame people. You know, <laughs> if I was going to look for somebody to rob and I had to choose between <laughs> you and me. Right. I'd go for me. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you're definitely vulnerable to that type of person, but what you're going to hopefully experience when we're on a walk is like, there's going to be some guy who I'd be a good victory for him to tell his friends about. There's a oh, different right. incentive. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's counterintuitive, that, that right? occurred to me. We'll yeah. have to see when we go on the walk. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. David, so great to talk to you. And great luck with a carnival of snackery. And again, you can use the internet to find out his speaking Show engagements. Schedule. Yeah, yeah. But of course, it'll bring you to his agent's own personal <laughs> website first. Be well. Great seeing you. Thanks, Dax. Thanks, yeah. Monica. <laughs> Bye. All right. Take care. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Are we ABR? Cheerio. This is our first fact check in two episodes. Sorry. Sorry. What's our excuse? Well, we are in London. Mm -hmm. And we have to prioritize life sometimes. For me, anyway. Like, I would have made this happen. 
if I didn't feel like... You'd rather be shopping? Not just shopping, but exploring the city. We're in yeah. a new place. We never get to do this. And it's it's not looking at the big picture to be like, let's just really make sure uh, we fit this in. And, you know. Yeah. The other thing was is, so we would have done it on the weekend, but then we decided, let's go to Paris. We're close enough to go to Paris. So 36 hours to get there and get back doesn't really leave a lot of time to record. No. And, not, and then well, you'd miss Paris. Exactly. And that's just not what we're going to do. That's not what we're about right now. And we don't want you guys to do that either. Take no. some time for your for your life if well, you certainly. can. Should we record a fact check on the airplane on the ride home tomorrow? That could be so novel and we proprietary. We could try it. And what if during the fact check, someone was trying to commandeer the aircraft and then I was on oh, there. And then here you we got, go. If, if, and I had to intervene and subdue the person, uh-huh. the perp. Will you make me a promise that you'll run alongside the fist fight with the microphone? Sure. So you can get some audio? Sure. Okay. More, I thought you were going to say oh, if. Land the plane. The, yeah. Wow. I guess this is, re- it, look, let's put it this way. If I end up landing the plane tomorrow, we're never even going to talk about the simulation again. It is. Because yeah. we've set up this whole thing. It seemed like it was a waste of time to even debate whether or not I could land a plane. And then to find out live. I really hope that does not happen. <laughs> On our flight over, there was quite a lot of turbulence. Yeah, that was pretty wild. We um, were asleep because we took a flight that left at 10 p.m. And then around 3 a.m., uh, this van started rocking. Big time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, wild. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever really experienced that kind of <laughs> And it was, an, it was a couple hours. And so it was, it was significant enough that after we landed— you, Anna, and I were talking, and and we had we went through our whole life virtually, right? We like we had all contemplated, okay, we might be going down. Yes. And what were your thoughts? What were your life thoughts? Whenever I have those thoughts, my first thought is like, I'm not sad. Like I'm weirdly, I'm grateful. Like I'm thinking, man, I had a great fucking life. The only thing that makes me sad is my daughters are going to grow up without a dad, and then I worry about. Well, they were on the plane with us. Exactly. <laughs> So the one thing that I that would normally I'd be like, well, I'm going to die, mm-hmm. and then they won't have a dad, and then I get sad, and then I don't want to die. But this was we were all there. Yeah. So well, Kristen be fucked. Yeah. She, Her life would. <laughs> she said. She said she would walk off the building. <laughs> yes. If that had had, had, had that happened. We are not afraid to get dark on this show. But because it, I was like, well, they're dead asleep. Mm, pun not intended. Oh geez. Jesus. And I thought, okay, like. They had a great life. I had a great life. But is that okay? I'm just going to poke some holes, okay? Yeah, do it. That's your job. Is that really selfish? Because for you, of course, yes. Like for you, it's kind of a good scenario. You're going to be dead and you had a great life Mm -hmm. and the kids aren't going to have to live without a dad. Uh But the kids didn't get to live a full life. Well, they didn't, but they also had a great life thus far. Like, yeah. if I had to rate their life, uh, you know, zero to eight years old, you know, Lincoln's riding motorcycles. She's gotten air. She jumps. She's, she dances. You know, she's done. She's had a great life. Like, what's sad to me is, like, little babies sewing garments in the 1800s in a London sweatshop, and then a thing collapses, and they die. So it was like a terrible life, and then they died. That's Right, but it's still sad that they won't get to live a full life. Okay, great. So let's get into this. The only thing that's sad about death is for the people that live. The people that yeah. die aren't sad. They're they're not they're yeah, ne- they they're can't nowhere. Be sad. Yeah. yeah. Either they're I in a right. blank void, which yeah. is what I believe, or if you're religious, they're in heaven, which is a great place. So there's no pain or suffering on our end. It's yeah. just for the people that are alive. I think that's true. 
there's no intrinsic sadness for us, the dead. Sure. Uh, so I feel bad for people who are alive. Yeah. I don't want my kids to die. Let's be very clear. God. <laughs> and I don't want to die. Yeah. But I was overwhelmed with gratitude that they have had a good life so far, and I had a great life, and I, I just had gratitude, I guess. Yeah. All right, now walk me through yours. I was like, oh, my God. This is really getting bad, but it's probably fine. And then it was just ha happening more and more, and I was getting a little more antsy. And then I kept checking for cues, like— <laughs> Our stewardess is putting on parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, me and yours, like, were next to each other, uh -huh. and we were sleeping during this time. It was yeah. the middle of the night. Yeah. And I looked at you, and you were still sleeping. So uh -huh. I was like, oh, well, Dax thinks this is fine. So I guess it's probably fine. What if you looked over and I was racing to the cabin, the front of the airplane, and I, I just assumed the pilots had gone down? <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be that surprising. And then I thought, oh, God, are we over the ocean? Yeah. Because I don't know if we are. We probably are. And... You know, shit, I wasn't paying attention during that oh. life vest portion of the program, and I should have. And I was like, damn it, I, this is how it's going to get me. Mm. I kind of had to just get into some sort of acceptance mode. But I did do some praying. Oh, you did? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's great news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, who are you praying to? Just well, a, a no-name God? I used to pray every night. Oh, you did? Uh-huh, for a long time. I think I— Like in a Christian way? Not really. Like not to Jesus. Okay, not to Jesus. And kind of just to a a higher power. Okay, an all-knowing, all-loving. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's nice. It used to be a speech, basically. Like it was regimented. I said the same thing every night. I, I, you know, here we are. Learning here we something are. new. We're seven years in, and I'm, I'm just learning that you used to pray nightly. Yep. I love this. Uh, can you do the speech? For no, me? I actually th I thought about it in my for a second. I was like, should I say it? But I don't. I don't want to. Was it now? I lay me down to nope. sleep. No, it was specific. It was like this person, this person, this person, this person. Please no blank. And I had. <laughs> oh my god! I can't believe you're not going to tell us. I bet it's so cute. <laughs> I bet it's just like you farting and pooping your pants on the sidewalk. It'll make you more likable and lovable. No, but I'm just afraid. I it's like it's it's. Oh, uh, it's like you're telling your mantra. Exactly. Okay, I, then then I'm not going to push. Yeah. It could have no power anymore. Yeah. You exploited it for commerce. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay. So anyway, I used to do that every night, and it was habitual, and it was superstitious. Like mm -hmm. I needed to do that before bed. Right. And then at some point I stopped. Every, mm. every now and then before bed, I'll say please and thank you. Oh, to I the like universe. that. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Can I take a stab at one thing that was in that prayer? Yeah. <laughs> Don't let me get kidnapped. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There is there's a portion at the end that's like oh no blank and blank, no blank and blank. There were like pairings. Yeah. And kidnappers would, would and you robbers ever tell was one pairing. Oh, okay. <laughs> kidnappers and robbers. Would you ever tell me privately or that would also um take away its power? I don't know. Okay, I don't think, think about, about it. it. Okay. When we were on the plane, I was like, Okay, please <laughs> can uh, can we get through this? Yeah. Then we did. Oh my gosh. Okay, so here's Here's my guess about one you done on the plane. It's like, thank you, universe, for taking care of me this long and giving me such a wonderful life and the parents I love and all my friends. And um, it'd be great if I could get through this all in, um, 
if Pangai could do a um, McLaren-themed uh, color scheme like the sweater I uh, uh, well, you hadn't bought it yet. No. Um, but, you know, maybe like one thing about products. Sure. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure. That makes sense, yeah. Oh, I want to give him a shout-out because God knows he needs our help. Oh, he sure does. He so needs our help. He's an up-and-comer. He's a loser. Um, Daniel Ricardo has a fashion line that you're wearing currently. Yes, I've said it on here that I have requested clothes from Danny, and he didn't <laughs> deliver, yeah. except we saw him in person here. It was so lovely, and he hand-delivered a uh, shirt and shorts, and they are so cute. They really are. You're going to be wearing them in a photo, and people are always going to say, like, oh, where Monica? Where'd she get her thing? Well, I'm here to tell you it's called Ashante. Ashante. But the tagline is the greatest. Yeah, want to read do, it? Yeah, do you have a yeah, oh, yeah. Because oh, I, yeah. I I have it kind of memorized, but not enough. Okay, so the tagline of Ashante is upper class elegance from lower class bandits. Come on, what a great such I, a good tag. I feel like that. I think that's why we're um we're brothers from another mother because yeah. that's kind of that's kind of this the the scheme I'm going for. Is like low, no, low rent, high rent. You're not going for upper class elegance. You hate upper class I drive elegance. an E63. But you hate it. You oh. hate elegance <laughs> and upper class, and it's all you talk about. Well, listen, but I have some stuff that's upper class. You I can do. admit it's, it. You, you, know? you can admit it, but. Oh, I, I would say my tour bus is the apex of that exact thing. Upper class elegance, but from low class bandits. For like, lower who, class yes, bandits. Who, You're right. Who blows their money on a fucking tour bus? You're right. Okay. Okay. You All proved right. me right. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Also, you this. You proved me right. This whole. <laughs> you proved me right. That was... <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is a huge ding, ding, ding. This whole fact check. And I am just realizing. Okay. This is David Sedaris's fact check. And we're in London. Oh my God. And you know what's crazy is so when we were debating going to Paris. It seemed a little logistically too challenging at some point for me. I was like, you know, let's just fucking take a train to the north of England, some fun place. And then I thought, oh, my God, we got to find out where Sedaris lives. I want to walk through his little neighborhood where he is. Walking around at midnight. Yeah, I I wanted to walk where he walked. Yeah, well, you you guys made a plan that eventually you guys are going to walk together in Pasadena. But no information was passed. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I doubt that. Although they did happen. ask me for our addresses. I think he's going to send another oh, handwritten oh note. God. Just nicest man. <laughs> he's so adorable. He's so he's one of my I, I said this when we left. David is a hundred percent coming to my celebrity dinner party. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. my version of it, where I can pick all the people I want, yeah, he's first on the list. He's just so. I'm not there, am I? I'm not there. Am I at that dinner party? Oh, but I, um, yeah, as my friend. Yeah, well, I, I could see where you'd be like, he'll steamroll. I don't want him there. Well, you have to promise you won't. I'll prom. I'll. <laughs> It's so hard. We went to a dinner party. Yes. So we interviewed someone here. <laughs> yeah. You'll get some London interviews coming up, you yes, guys. Yes, yes, yes. They're fun. Yeah, we got a couple great interviews. And one of them is a, this is a uh, a clue, a big food per- <laughs> preparer personality, I would say, but not but really. But not like Gordon Ramsay. No. Yeah. Because that's um, where my mind would go. Okay. It's not him, but you should let people's minds wander. Okay. Anyway, we loved this person very much, and he graciously invited us to his house for a dinner party. Yeah. It was incredible. He cooked. Oh, my God. On his fact check, we'll get really into this. We will. And but, I'm going to ask a certain guest if I can out them for being there because there was a certain guest, of course, I really wanted him to like me because I've just liked him forever. 
Yeah, you put on a show. (laughs) (laughs) I sure did. That's what you do. That's kind of what I'm known for. It is. And everyone enjoyed it. Yeah. Can I tell you, this is is really braggy. Our host and the actor I love were at the... um, right by the doorway you'd walk through to then go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So I walked by both of them. And as I was closing the door, I heard our host say, I think he's the, one of the funniest people I've ever met in real life. And I like, I closed the door and I just like, you know, I smile. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> it was really nice because I actually was wondering if I had gone too far because he was our host. Yeah. Because I read aloud from his book in an accent and I was like, did that, was that too much? <laughs> I forgot about that part. That was a huge swing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This fact check could be 11 hours because we've done so much in England. I know. That's why we should have been doing them along the way. Yeah. Listen, um, (laughs) I wish we could switch bodies. Like, I I, I mean, I wish I could live as you for (laughs) a week, and I wish you could live as me for a week. I would love to. And I want—I'm just so curious, like— What thoughts precede me doing all this stuff? Well, no, I just I just want to know what it feels like to be you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you ever want to know? Is what that it feels a compliment like or a burn? A compliment. Oh, good, good, good. I didn't know if that actually, was a burn it's or neither. Not. I, it's just truly curiosity. Like people behave so specifically. Everyone, I behave so specifically, and my personality is so specific. Yes. And the thoughts in my head are so specific. Yeah. And I I want to be in other people's bodies and know theirs. I'm probably wrong, but I think I have a, like a really good idea of what you're going through most times. No, but you don't know what it's like in my brain. Like you, you can know me, but you don't know what it feels like in your body to like see the dress hanging and want oh, it so bad. That's very true. That's like very it, true. It, yeah. You'll never know what that is. You're right. Yeah. And you won't know like how it feels in my body when I'm, yeah, just pinned going through the gears down the straightaway yeah. and wondering how long I can hold it before I have to break. Yeah. That whole, yeah, what happens in my body in that moment. Yeah. Or what's happening in your body and brain at the dinner party versus mine. Well, I can tell you mostly I'm screaming, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, calm down, shut up, shut up, really? shut up. Yes. Like, <laughs> believe it or not, you are seeing <laughs> like tame. 30% of what I want to be doing or saying. Wow. I know. It's crazy. I can admit it. By the way, luckily it's rare. It's generally when we're around new people. I can give you an example. One time, um, Lake Bell, my old co-star, had yes. us over for a barbecue and uh, Cameron Diaz was there. Who I'd never, I had this weird past with, I told him, I think I've said it, maybe on here. Yeah, I don't know. Back when I was using, I sent some um, texts. Um, They weren't weren't sexual towards her. It's not that kind of embarrassing, but embarrassing text. Well, I can tell you, I was very interested in Timberlake's workout routine. They were dating at the time, and I think I got really carried away, and I had been smoking meth in Hawaii, blah, blah, blah. So needless to say, she never texted me back. So- I had been now for like 16 years wanting to get her ear just to say, I'm so sorry. I'm really not like that anymore, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that this was the opportunity. Well, I was just going, right? Mm-hmm. And Kristen walked by and she said to Cameron, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm really enjoying it. And she goes, okay, good. This is his favorite thing. So, mm-hmm. and yes, if I, if there's someone new, I get real um, energized. Yeah. Yeah. And this was like eight new people. 
Yeah. Many of people I just have respected from afar. Yes, me too. Yeah. What do you feel in those situations? I feel insecure, very. Yeah. But hmm, it's such a weird thing. I felt really insecure, but I also feel confident. I know. So (laughs) you know why? Because you're a boss. It's like, I know you feel insecure, but you're also someone that can go audition. You know, like you, you can, you'll rise to the occasion. I also just not in the way you do. I'm not trying to like win the room, right. but I really do know how to talk to people. Absolutely. So I know I can always rely on just like a one-on-one conversation with someone. Well, let's go back to Danny really quick. Let's hop around. I was observing and I told you afterwards, I don't know what thoughts you had in your head, but you were so calm and when it was your time, you shine like a motherfucker and then you didn't like you were just you appeared to me like the most confident chick in the world. Thank you. And I know that you had other thoughts in your head. Mm-hmm. But at that party, I hope you know I told everyone I talked to that you and I created this show together. I know. That's the hard thing. Like, that's the thing I'm trying to Like, I could tell we were talking over. to one woman that, in her defense, she didn't even know we had a show, per se. She was like, you know, come, come to this comedy festival. Yes. So she... <laughs> She asked for my phone number because of this to try to, like, hook up this thing. And she gave me her phone to put it in. I put my name and then I put the podcast under it. Yeah. And then she said, oh, okay, okay, Monica Padman, armchair expert. I need to put Dax on here. And I was like. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she didn't mean it no, meanly at yeah, all. And yeah. it's fine. But, of yeah. course, like, those are the moments where, where the insecurity yeah. spikes. Where yeah. I'm, like, living at, like, a pretty normal level. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, she has no idea who I am. No one here knows who I am. They're like, <laughs> what, who is this person? Why is she here? This isn't. These are my thoughts. Yeah. But, no, but it, they can't be your thoughts. Oh, not at that party. <laughs> I'm just saying I have a history of those exact thoughts. That's what I always say about going to parties and stuff. I know, but mine's rooted in realness. A lot of people do not know me. They know you. Well, let me first of all say it's not rooted in realness because people aren't thinking, why is this person at the party? I wasn't thinking, why is this anyone at that party? No, no, I know. But you know what I'm saying? It's rooted in realness in that— you're not a global I need an name. introduction. Okay. Yeah. And the rest of the people at the party do not, except maybe one or two. Right. Okay. And, and of course, you know, then I'm like, they all think I'm everyone's assistant. That's right, the but thought. And that's fine. It, I'm going to back up one second. Okay. Clearly, we were invited by someone we just interviewed. So the host knows exactly who you are. Oh, yeah. And when the host is inviting other people and telling them who's going to be there, he's Telling them. He's but he not- might say, like, I did Dax's podcast, and it was really fun, and I invited him to dinner, and his uh, <laughs> assistant. <laughs> no. Yes. You were interviewing him. He knows you're the co-host. I don't know. Well, <laughs> also. His assistant. <laughs> it's an easy mistake to make, especially if you don't listen to the show. Yeah, but not if you do the show. You couldn't possibly be doing the show thinking you're my assistant. Well. You're a shitty fucking assistant well, <laughs> if you yell at me and tell me I'm wrong and make me insecure. What a good assistant. Well, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, he was incredibly lovely. I wasn't insecure around him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, God, there's so much more to say. There is. Also, we've had a few incredible interactions with some arm cherries. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. And it's been so special. 
and everyone is just so it just it keeps getting reiterated that everyone who's listening is so lovely. It's insane. And special. It's insane. And I also want just in case he's listening, I was at a bar with Anna mm-hmm. and this man came up. Oh, in a band. He introduced himself. His name is Jesse. Uh-huh. And he said, "Are you Monica?" And I said, "Yes." And and he was American. Yeah. And he said, I think, some nice things about the show. And then I said, what are you doing here? And yeah. he said, he's in a band and they just played a show. And then he, inter- inter- he introduced himself to Anna. Uh-huh. Loved that. Yeah. And then I said, really nice to meet you. He left. And then I ha- immediately had a huge regret that I didn't ask him what band he was in or what kind of music he played or any questions about him. So I'm really sorry, Jesse, if you're listening. That wasn't a good indication of my interest level. Yeah. I just was... I was really taken aback. I was not expecting to be recognized. Yes. And also, if you're in Coldplay, <laughs> I wish you would have told me. And can we be friends? Um, okay. So I have an apology to make to an armchair as well. Okay, go. Which is when we were in Paris, a woman came up and said that she goes, I was at the Tokyo Olympics when I listened to the Adam Grant Returns episode. I. She goes, I, I, she said like she really loved that episode or something. And I About really, happiness, the part on happiness. Yeah. But because she said the Olympics, I went straight to, I thought she was, thought it was funny about that. I look at the penises and I record the penises and all that stuff. You got confused about the Olympic portion. I, I did. And then, so I think she was trying to say something sweet and profound about maybe a message Adam told her that helped her life. And I launched right into, oh, I, yeah, I take a <laughs> Oh, boy. It was all about those penis pictures. And I could tell as she was walking away, like, oh, that's not that's not what she actually was. Yeah. She didn't stop. We're yeah. sorry. I am sorry. I, I got confused because of the Olympics. <laughs> I really did. I really, and jet lag. Yeah. Yeah. And too much travel. Yeah. No, 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 so. Yeah. Okay. So those are our men's. <laughs> <laughs> Just know if you approach either of us, um, it's 50-50 whether you know, we're going to put our foot in our mouth, I guess. Yours was worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> you proved me right. What a shitty assistant you are. <laughs> Fucking I'd fire you in a second. <laughs> uh, you know what the great news is? There are no facts on David's. Yeah, episode. that's good. That's good. It's just a fucking joy to it's, listen yes. to him talk and just, oh, I just want to be around him all the time. We had this kind of post sum up, you and I, we were talking about how special he is when we were done. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, I think maybe you pointed out, I don't know which one of us pointed out, but he occupies a space in my mind that is similar to Chappelle's, mm-hmm. which I don't know what his voodoo or his magic is, but he can say exactly what he thinks and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that. Yes. Chappelle's also at my celebrity dinner party, obviously. Yeah. He's going to make mushroom tea. That's great. his jam. I'm fine with that. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> and I'll let you come, but you can't have any of the tea. Okay. I'm going to need—look, uh, what if it's medically supervised and someone puts me on some tranquilizer? Because at that party, if you, <laughs> the people you're going to invite, Chappelle and Satara, is like, I I won't be able to control myself. I'll be on the table with my shirt off doing push-ups or something. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I would be resentful at you if I had all these people at dinner and you were doing that. Yeah, I put on some show. and. No, I mean, to an extent, of course, that's you. But yeah. if you're, like, you know, really, mm. really taking up all the air. Monopolizing. 
the the point is to have these people chat. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that a five is like a bullseye of I I didn't share too much or whatever at the dinner party. Mm-hmm. A ten is no one ever spoke and I spoke the entire oh. dinner. Zero is I never opened my mouth. Oh. Where do you think I landed on that at that dinner party? Oh. Um. Six. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Because I I kind of left and I was like. I was 10% too much, but I've been I've been way more than 10% too much. Um well, uh, we didn't cover half the things we should have covered, but we're having a really nice time. Oh, I think we should I think I imagine people will be like that's all you're going to say about Ricardo. Well, you're right. Yeah, cuz there's you know a lot of a lot of cherries Tench. are shipping for you big yeah. time. Yeah. And so I don't know that there's any like Conclusion, really, other than um, we're going to get to see him in Austin and maybe even for Halloween. And we all had a really great time. And Blake is like the- Shout out. Blake is the hero of the the Danny Rick scene. I just got to give Blake tons of love. Blake is Danny's- They're they're besties. He manages him. Yeah. He has the best disposition ever. He's Australian too. Mm -hmm. So funny, so smart, so cute. We love we love Blake very much. Too. I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm going to give Daniel. I feel like like the guy introduced himself to Anna. Yeah, and you're like, okay, good person. Yeah. So Danny walked into the restaurant. I had this story. I like had to tell him immediately. I like found something out that I knew he was going to love, and I like literally ran up to him like, oh my god, you got it. Blah blah blah. And I was mid-talking, and he goes, oh, sorry, one second. I want to say hi to Monica. So he, like, he shut me completely down. He walked across the bar, tapped you on the shoulder, said hello, gave you the the clothes. Yes. Said hi to a couple other people, then came back and got the story. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this guy's got fucking good manners. Really and, nice. Yeah. So, so, so kind. Oh, one other we thing I got to say. Um, I got to go to McLaren. I got to go to McLaren, which is insane, and it was so fun. And the people there were so nice, and I got to see the cars being physically built by hand. So cool. I got to see the whole F1 side of the place. I saw them working on the Formula One cars. I've never seen one in real life. I only seen them on TV. So to to look at the arrow at, at the front, there's like 150 little mini fins that are controlling the downforce. It's so complicated oh. and intricate, and everything's tiny little carbon fiber. It was, oh, the gap. I'm going to post this. The gap between the wheel and the floor pan, there isn't even a gap. I don't even understand how they would make something fit that well together. There, mm-hmm. there, you couldn't slide this toothpick between the edge of the car and the rear tire. Wow. It's so incredible. And then the history, uh, they have something there called the Boulevard with all the, like, the Nicky Lauda cars and the Hunt and just, it's crazy. It was so it was really cool fun that you got to do that. I'm so happy. And it looks just like it would be the Avengers compound because it's got that big lake and it's like super architectural and mm. glass. And you're just waiting to see old uh, Bob Downey Jr. walk out in the Iron Man costume. Very cool. Oh, I have thoughts on being American after this trip, but maybe we'll do it on the next fact check. Okay, great. On the airplane. On the airplane. All right. I love you. Love you. 